Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux. XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. With your host... Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. John Copenhaver. How are you doing? I am uh, very well today. Thanks, Al. Oh, you're very well, as opposed to well. Very well. How come? Like, what's going on? <laughs> um, nothing. I just, I just wanted to sound upbeat, you know? It's actually not much different than the last time we talked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought, yeah, maybe something happened. You won, you won something, or you, you know, won the lottery or something, you know? I did not win the lottery. Um, I guess that would be nice if that happened, but no, I, nothing, nothing much has changed. But um, I am furiously editing the new book, which is uh, kind of making me tear what little hair I have left out. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. You don't have much there. Come on. <laughs> I got to protect the. Got to protect what I have. Yeah, or you'll be wearing a wig. You know, come on. Yeah, you know? yeah, that would be a sight. Okay, well, what have we got today? Today we have got a writer and uh, his book called Boy Wonder, and it's a coming-of-age memoir. The author is uh, Jobert Eboiva, so thank you for being here. Thank you, gentlemen. Hello, and uh, greetings from Paris. I'm here this week. Must be nice. How do, how do you get to be in Paris? Like, what's going on there? Yeah, uh, well, it's for work. Um, I have a day job as a global marketer, and I found out, late last week, 48 hours before I had to jump in a plane, that um, I, I was to be here, and I'm glad I'm here. I'm, I'm working with my colleagues here in Europe in the what we call the EMEA, Europe, Middle East, Africa region. And that's pretty much what I've done for a number of years is, is being a global marketer in different sectors. And it's funny that I'm saying this because being a global marketer, if I had to think all the way back to my you know, my beginnings, why I am a global marketer has a lot to do with my upbringing, which is what Boy Wander is about. That leads me to then is why is it that you went to write a book about it? Like what, what, what prompted you to write this? I thought that there were some interesting aspects to my growing up. Uh, I did not necessarily start it as a book project. I wanted to write about episodes and experiences in my childhood. Uh, a lot of it had to do with my father, who was a roving academic of sorts. Uh, I was born in Manila, the Philippines, and my father was a writer, so there were a lot of books around us, and he wrote uh, presidential biographies and books on political science, so there was that. 
because of martial law, um, way back in the early 70s, when Ferdinand Marcus um, declared martial law, my, my father was part of a constitutional convention. They were trying to rewrite the constitution. Overnight, he was part of a group that became the enemy of the state. He disappeared, and he sent a telegram to the family and said, join me in Kathmandu, Nepal. So that was the start of a very nomadic childhood. Uh, we lived in Nepal, Thailand. We did make it back to the Philippines for a short stint. But really, uh, we spent, um, I spent my 8th through 12th grade in Tokyo, Japan. So I thought there was a lot to do with my nomadic experience that might be uh, interesting to recount. Also, I was one of those ambitious kids but had a secret uh, in terms of his sexuality. And there was a lot of that inner conflict and crisis of trying to understand what was staring inside of me and how I dealt with that uh, during my high school years. I, I called it my tumultuous teenage years in Tokyo. That's the context for my wanting to write uh, about a childhood that is not, I don't think it's your typical childhood. And I, I thought I might have something to share. It was probably halfway through writing a number of chapters that I realized I might have something that I could string together and um, uh, present as a, uh, a potential manuscript. When, when was the time period then? So when you start writing about, from what age and what year was it? Sure. Uh, I started the book when I was, the prologue starts as a six-year-old. There was, um, we'll call it the inciting incident. Uh, it was not a pleasant incident. It, it did have something to do with an adult uh, taking advantage of a six-year-old. And it kind of carried on, carries on through there. Uh, until I graduated from high school in Tokyo. And the book kind of ends when I arrived in America, and I'm about to start my next chapter um, attending the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. So it's that time period from about when I was born through uh, graduating from high school and arriving in America. What, what years did this happen? This happened in the late 60s, and I graduated from high school in the early 80s. In writing the book, um, I realized, as I was really uh, maturing the manuscript, that there were themes that were starting to come out that uh, friends who were workshopping, my writing groups were workshopping, the chapter said that a lot of what happened then seems to be quite relevant for today. And perhaps it's the same challenge that a, a, a gay youth, a, a young person that is struggling with identifying, you know, understanding their sexuality and then having to deal with it both privately and publicly. That is still a, a theme that is ageless. Uh, regardless of uh, when it happened. Right, right. So when you were, when you were doing this book, um, did you have that kind of intent in your writing? Were you kind of hoping that when people read the book, they they get something out of it like that? Like, is there was there kind of a theme for you? Yeah. Um. It started out as personal essays and chapters. I, I honestly did want to recount uh, episodes that I thought were worth remembering and uh, documenting. And then somewhere along the way, uh, it, it did dawn on me that there may be a message here uh, or a, a message or two. And I think um, I'd like to believe that has come to pass that all our journeys are quite unique, but they all count, right? And the more we learn about each other's experiences growing up in different cultures, having to deal with our sexuality, 
and how we address it. Uh, they're all unique, but they all matter. And I, I think it, it, I find a lot of uh, comfort in uh, having shared that, and it, it, especially when I hear back from folks that um, the feedback has just been uh, overwhelming. Uh, I hear everything from it really enabled me, allows me to think back to my own circumstances as a child and how I too struggled with addressing, dealing with my sexuality. And uh, it's, it's fascinating to hear how we have all dealt with it in, in so different ways. Just that alone to me is, is quite rewarding. And sometimes uh, it, it, it's, it's quite emotional as well. Yeah, you know, I, I was noticing and, and noted that um, you're the winner of the J. Michael Samuel Prize, which is a pretty new prize that Lambda has put out for writers, I guess, over 50, right? Am I getting that correct? Well, I am over 50. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to out you. <laughs> um, but it's cool. I mean, I, I love this because I think that sometimes you're looking at these stories from all these different time periods, and you made the point, of course, that there's a relevancy, you know, no matter what age. But how did it feel? I mean, how did it feel to sort of get an award, you know, process that kind of award? So when, when I saw that the award, it was the inaugural year for it, I thought, well, yes, I, I, I definitely fall under the category of a late bloomer, kind of. Uh, I have been an emerging <laughs> writer for a very long time. Um, I, I do talk about my early inklings as a writer when I was a kid writing poetry and you know, my dad would encourage me to write poems, and I would have to report back to him every Sunday. And my mom was playing like literary agent, and she would submit my poetry to newspapers and try to get my my first book published. So they kind of worked as a, a duo, a team. I have always wanted to write. Uh, I started writing articles for the New York Times. I um, wrote op-ed pieces over the years. And when the price uh, came along, I thought that I, I might have something to share about being a late bloomer and that it's never too late to uh, get a book-length project going. And so that's that's really uh, the, what steered me to enter uh, for the prize. And lo and behold, uh, I was quite shocked to find out that I was the inaugural winner. And it, 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 has, it has truly uh, propelled me to finish the manuscript and uh, luckily uh, found a home for it and uh, got it published this year. So it, it's been a wonderful turn of events uh, just these past couple of years, starting off with this Lambda Literary Prize. One thing that's really great about the literary arts, which isn't necessarily true for the other arts, is that you know age is not as much of a, an issue. And I think there's a lot of great examples of writers who come into their own or get first published, you know, you know, in their midlife range. It's, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot to celebrate. I'm glad this award exists. It's my long-winded way of <laughs> saying it. When you're putting together a memoir, um, it's, it's fascinating to me. One, I'm just to tell you I'm a fiction writer, and I've done some short sort of personal essay-ish pieces, but the idea of sort of taking, you know, my life and shaping it into narrative form seems uh, nearly impossible. And I'm wondering sort of how, what your process was. Um, you mentioned you kind of had essays. How did you unify those essays? I'm, I'm just fascinated by the process of putting together memoir. Right, right. So 
again, I, I did start off um, just focusing on episodes that I thought were just uh, either out of this world or, you know, no one would ever believe this. So I focused on those. And then as I kept writing, that's when the glue started to come together where, okay, there, there's a narrative here. And I, I started to string chapters together. And then it, it dawned on me at some point in the process that, yeah, there, there is a, a true arc to this. And it, it started to map itself before me. And then I started to write towards that map, if you will. And um, that is the outcome of it. I, at first, I wanted to, you know, really be clever and, you know, do a lot of here is a, a storyline. And then I would have these flashbacks. Um, but through writing workshops, and I actually uh, sought the advice of an, uh, an editor, someone I just turned to, they gave some great feedback. And in the end, they said, you may be better off writing this chronologically because that in and of itself, it, it's building quite nicely. We hear that uh, a part of being a good memoir is, is really having elements of a novel, right? And um, maybe I unwittingly was working towards that. And then it was the uh, freelance editor who kind of made me realize that, that that was the direction I was going. So I kept at it. And it, in a way, thanks to COVID, because it actually took me 20 years on and off. You know, life goes on. You work full time. But it wasn't until the pandemic that I, I, I said to myself, I'm going to finish this damn thing. It, it's taken me so long. I, I felt that if, if there was any time to get it done, this was it. And, uh, and uh, finally um, finished it. It's, I've heard a similar story that COVID did give people some, the creative people some time to make work in a way that uh, that sort of normal or, or what was it once normal pace of life just didn't allow. So um, I guess <laughs> there's some up, upsides to this terrible thing, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. You know, have you thought about writing fiction? Is that at all something you want to do? Do you feel like you're, as you put your, your memoir together, where you're like, well, maybe I could also, you know, there's, it's a very similar, you know, like you said, storytelling and narrative form. There's some similarities between the two. Is that something you'd ever want to do? Yeah. So I, I have definitely dabbled in short stories, and I also have been fortunate enough to win uh, some writing uh, prizes for my short fiction. And um, I would love to write fiction. I'm debating. You know, I joke with friends. They said, because the way I end the book, it, there's a bit of a cliffhanger element to it. And they say, well, when's the next book? But when are you going to continue? I jokingly say it's a trilogy. But I, I am seriously debating whether the next one should be an autobiographical novel as opposed to just a memoir, because it's like, oh, Joe, we're doing another memoir. But um, I can see how I can still have kernels of truth uh, in a novel, uh, but it does get, allow you more leeway to, to even extend further and uh, branch out into different directions uh, to give it more texture, if you will, uh, and then um, kind of conclude Still, if it were a memoir, I still think I have a, an ending to the next memoir that could be really amazing. But why not try sectionalizing a bit and give it more, more, more depth? What was your most memorable experience or memory? What was the thing that you wrote about in the book that, that still stays with you today that you think about all the time? That's a great question, because having just focused on all these episodes that I thought were all memorable, I would have to say 
it was um, when we moved to Japan. This was around 1977. Um, my father went ahead. Um, we followed the family. My siblings uh, were four brothers. I have two sisters and one brother and my mom. We were on a trip to Kyoto, Japan. So it was between uh, Christmas and New Year's, our, our very, very first winter in Japan. And, um, you know, we saw all the temples, the sites, but we were just so uh, intrigued by the ice skating rink at the Holiday Inn. We had never ice skated before. And um, my brother and sister were like circling around me, you know, daredevil gusto, as I, I say. And I was really awkward on the ice. I kept falling. I must have fallen like 20 times and I was getting frustrated. And then I said, time out. Uh, I wanted to go to bathroom. I wanted to regroup. Uh, the skates were really tight around my ankles. They were killing me. And then, you know, I, I, I saw this gentleman, um, a white man, who looked at me strangely through the mirror. Uh, and then he started to suggest that, um, you know, he actually pulled out a thousand yen bill, which is about uh, $5. And he kind of telegraphed with his eyes and his shaking the crisp bill that um, I was to follow him upstairs to his room and that I immediately connected that money was associated with following him and that I might get the money for doing something. I wasn't quite sure exactly what at, the po at that point in time, but I, I sensed something and I followed him and I kind of panicked. Um, he grabbed me and there was a bit of a uh, uh, an awkward waltz, if you will, and uh, I was getting nervous, and he seemed to want to rush whatever uh, he had to do. Um, and when he finished, um, I looked at him. Before I left, I asked, well, do I get the money? <laughs> and he basically scolded me and said, no, because you didn't do what you were supposed to do, even though he got off, if you will. And I panicked and I, I ran out of the room. I ran back downstairs. I put my ice skates back on and I, I got back on the ice. All of a sudden, something just switched on, changed in me. And I started ice skating like there was no tomorrow. I, I think my parents, my siblings were, were shocked that I was starting to really uh, move along the ice quite graciously, if you will. Uh, I did not stumble. I did not fall. And that... That's a chapter in the book. And it, it, it's memorable to me because that was probably a turning point where something clicked about one being wanting to be, you know, being desired by someone uh, at a sexual level. And then that person associating uh, a monetary reward for me uh, following them. And that, that kind of, picks off the rest of what goes on in the book where I start to associate uh, monetary reward with uh, sexual favors. And uh, that kind of kicked off um, uh, an interesting trip uh, when it came back to Tokyo and the Imperial Hotel where I stumbled uh, into uh, several men cruising the shopping arcade downstairs. <laughs> and uh, I ended up stumbling into a scene I unwittingly did stumble into it. 
and then ended up uh, partaking and being part of that scene for a number of years, uh, even before I graduated high school. So, so that's, that's why I, sh I shared that as an inciting incident. Um, it kicked off something I totally did not expect hap to happen, but it did. Was it hard to sort of, I mean, were these stories sometimes hard to process for the page, or did it come sort of naturally to um, give voice to them? I think, I know, I, I've talked to several different writers who have very different you know, feelings about that. I'm curious what it was like for you. Right. So I knew that there were these experiences that happened, these episodes, and um I wanted to recount them, so I just started to do so. And what was interesting was uh, the more I thought about it, the more the memories became, be, rushed back and details became quite vivid. Uh, that surprised me. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, how, how is it that you can provide so much detail about uh, sexual episodes or things that happened many, many years ago? And I don't have the full answer for it, but they, they definitely came rushing back uh, as I kept the process going. So that was one of the big surprises of this writing process. Um, but to answer the question, um, I just started writing, and then things just kind of built, you know, just uh, kept on going from there. Do you think there's anything about sort of the cultural moment in Japan this time that, you know, I guess in some ways it's so hard to know how that sort of um, – you know, viewpoint view of it when it's happening, but that fed that sort of situation or your relationship between money and sex, or do you think it's, that's irrelevant? That's not really the point. No, I, I think you have a good point. Um, so a few things about growing up in Japan. First of all, it's probably one of the safest societies. And in a way, my parents, you know, did not worry too much about their children being out and about, right? Um, so there was that aspect of it. Um, you know, I was quite active in school. I was this overachiever type. And I was functioning within a very international environment. My classmates were, were from around 40 countries. So it was quite cosmopolitan, permissive, if you will, quite safe. So I think um, that context uh, allowed for things to happen, right? Whereas if I, I don't know, if I was growing up in an American suburb, maybe these things also happen. They do happen. But my parents were, were not as watchful over me. And that had to do with the fact that, um, you know, Japan is safe. Um, I have to tell you really quickly, I must have lost my wallet four fucking times in Japan. And every single time I would see my name uh, at the train station of my origin, uh, my home station uh, because someone always returned the wallet and you knew from my uh, monthly pass that I was uh, based in that station and that tells you something about the Japanese culture and in a way um, why I was able to roam around wander around Tokyo and I just happened to find myself uh, in this shopping arcade in the Imperial Hotel and um, it, 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 it went on from there. Well, you know, going through this and, and writing about all of your experiences and, and younger days and stuff like that, 
when you look back at it and you put it out now, and, and of course now anybody can read it and say what they want and stuff like that, but how, how do you think this, this whole process has changed you? Great question. There was a lot of fear, uh, and there, I still, I still um, wonder if I've overshared, but I have to tell you um, it's, it's been cathartic. I feel like I have nothing to hide. Uh, this is who I am. Well, that's who I was, but it did inform parts of who I am as an adult. Um, I, I, I have long since left that, that profession, if you will, um, but it, it, it definitely um, has informed who I am in terms of my career, um, my sensitivity to uh, where people are coming from, um, being part of this, uh, being part of a global citizen of sorts. So I, I feel relieved. I feel catharsis. Um, I sometimes cringe, but um, I feel like I can keep writing. I can keep living my life um, without any trepidation. That's how I feel today. I don't know, it could be different tomorrow, but that's how I feel right now. Right. So overall, it's, it's a good experience. Yes. And the writing experience was amazing. And uh, it's the whole process has enabled me to just confront, you know, the early sexual abuse and just um, giving perspective to why I acted in certain ways uh, growing up. So any regrets? At this point, I don't think so. Um, I'm sure, you know, I, I know the minute people even just read a description of the book and, uh, you know, there are a lot of gasps, if you will. Um Okay, um, you don't have to read it, uh, but a lot of people have been reading it, and um, it's it's lovely for folks to, yes, you know, they the feedback that I'm brave and whatnot. That's that's all nice, and thank you. Um, but no regrets. Um, it it was my truth. I wanted to share something that I know happens, probably is something someone else has experienced, but has not shared out there. Um, there, there are many realities to growing up, and this is one of them, and it was fine, and it's my truth, and I'm, I'm happy I wrote the book. Yeah, there's been a lot of work done um, both like in the LGBTQ community and, and in general to destigmatize sex work, um, you know, which I think is great. I wonder where you're sort of story falls into that conversation. What, what do you think about that? That's a great question. So there were a few quick, uh, unique circumstances to my situation. One, I was underage. Two, I feel like I stumbled into it. So someone asked me, a friend said, when I read your memoir, I don't sense that you were traumatized by it and that you, you, you kind of just recounted matter-of-factly and um, just no sense of being traumatized. And, and that struck me hard because they, the point is, yeah, um, I did not necessarily feel victimized because you, when you hear about, you know, underage sex taking advantage of youth, uh, especially in places like Asia, there, there's a lot of negativity to it. I'm not condoning, you know, having sex with underage folks, but um, it happened to me. And I have, through the writing process, been able to confront it, deal with it. it. That's part of the catharsis. And in a way, that has been my therapy. And uh, I can move on from there. 
Um, I have no grand statements to say about, um, you know, sexual abuse, except to say perhaps it, you know, it, it is not a good thing to um, exploit young people. Uh, but I don't feel that I was completely exploited. And I wonder if that also has to do with my trying to understand who I was. And this just happened to be the outlet for me to, to find myself and my sexuality. I think that gray area that you're talking about is something that does pop up uh, um, in, in the conversation, um, especially uh, in you know, the queer community. It's interesting. It is, it is one that's difficult to navigate because certainly you do not want to support sexual abuse, but like your experience and you've been relating it, you know, it's not necessarily always the trauma that it often gets portrayed as. So it's just, it's, a comp, it's an infinitely complex issue. <laughs> That's for sure. I'm with you on that. So it said you were, um, so you attended an all-boys Catholic school in Tokyo and stuff. What, what was that like for you in those days, like what, back in the 70s and stuff? What was it like? Um, you knew you were gay, I guess, at the time, obviously, or that you liked mm-hmm. men. So what was it like being in a school like that? It was a bit of a challenge because it was, there was homophobia, and but that was homophobia amongst teenagers, right? You know, I grew up Catholic. My parents were devout Catholics. In a way, they were relieved because with all the moving around from country to country, they tried to make sure we kept coming back to a Catholic education. I started with the Jesuits in Manila, um, ended up at a secular British primary school in Kathmandu. And then when we moved to Bangkok, I was uh, back to a Catholic school with the Redemptorists. And then I went to a secular school back in Manila for a while, international school. And then when we moved to Tokyo, my parents were like, thank goodness, uh, we can put him with the Brothers of Christian Instruction. So the point is, there was homophobia amongst classmates, so that I was fearful. There was my Catholic upbringing. And uh, being a uh, practicing Catholic, that I also had to contend with the, the sin of my thoughts and actions. There were challenges, but again, at the same time, I also thrived. Uh, I was the so-called big man on campus. I was president of the student council. I, I was in plays. I was uh, writing on the newspaper. I was doing this and that. I was in track and field. I was a brain bowl speech and debate champion. So I also thrived. And but also I wonder whether I did all of that to mask who I really was. That's something I, I do find myself um, having a lot of discussions with folks who've read the book. And they share their own version of that, which is in order to mask a, a secret, a reality, uh, we overcompensate uh, by by doing things like overachieving. So that's the context of my all-boys Catholic international school experience. Um, I don't regret having gone there. In fact, I, I am going to a, uh, a it's going to be, yikes, 40-year high school reunion. Oh, my September. God, you're old. In, in <laughs> Tokyo. And my, my friends and classmates then, uh, they know about the book, and I know some of them are reading it as we speak. I am very curious about what kind of a reception I'm going to get. And to boot, I decided I was going to book myself at the Imperial Hotel. <laughs> oh, there you go. To go back to the scene of my crime. So that that, that uh, maybe that's what I'm going to write about next, or someone will tell, write a story about me. <laughs> I, I I don't think I'm going to repeat the things um, 
I, I did back in high school, but I just thought, um, why not just face, face, face it all again, um, all these years later and see if, um, what kind of perspective it provides me. You could be starting on a whole new career. <laughs> uh, I, well, I'm, I'm of a certain age, but then I, I do know that there's something for everyone, but I, I, I think I'm quite, uh, content with my marketing career and uh, wanting to write more books. Well, well, daddies are back in, so come on. I mean, you could, you could make this. This <laughs> could be really <laughs> Well, you know, daddies in style, so you could make this a, a great film, out. right? Okay, well, let's, let's, let's see what the audience thinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, nowadays, too, you see, this is great. You can bring your phone and you can record it now. You can film it for oh. us. Put it on YouTube. Listen to don't give me any ideas. Yeah. <laughs> nineteen nineteen ninety five a month. You can join your YouTube channel, and you can. Uh... We're gonna cruise the uh, shopping arcades of different hotels around the world. You know that's a thing, right? I'm, we don't. But you know that that's a scene that plays itself over and over. At least back then, and I suspect even to this day, where folks are in an environment that is not their typical habitat. And, you know, especially in, I hate to say it, but even in, you know, faraway places like in Asia, um, there are people who are willing, it's the demand and supply of it, right? That, that um, I guess it's always been there, and I, I suspect it's still there. It's just part of um, the human experience, I suppose. Can I get, get, do you think it makes it different because you, you enjoy the experience of sex with men? Does it make it different for for you then let's say if you let's say you were a straight boy and you went down and you fell into that same location and the same sort of thing do you think it would have been harder for you to deal with now at an older age looking back um harder than what it is because you are gay i don't know the answer to that um i don't know um i think that when when you were there when i was there in the moment you know, I'm, I was still a teenager regardless, right? So the, the, the dumb teenage aspect to it doesn't know any better. Um, clearly, I was not risk-averse. Uh, I was looking for something, and I was trying to reconcile something in myself. And I think this may have just presented itself as the, the venue, the uh, way I was going to learn more about what I enjoyed and what um, got me off, and and that's okay because I think everyone eventually figures things like that out. Mine may have just happened either earlier or in a more exotic context or uh, just uh, very untraditional, and I'm I'm okay with that. Did you make friends um, uh, with other boys that were doing the same thing as you in that shopping center, or did you become friends with any or close to any? No, I did not. Um, I knew that there were other, um, there were a few um, Japanese men who were there for the same reason, and you would just kind of give the nod of acknowledgement to each other. But uh, I do write in the book about uh, a friendship I I had with a gentleman from New York uh, who was, let's see, if I was 16, he was probably in his 40s. And what was different about him was Let's just put it this way. After we were together, uh, we started having conversations. Uh, I was asking a lot of questions about, you know, have you ever watched a gay film? 
what's New York like, that sort of thing, where I decided I wasn't going to ask him for any money at the end of our being together. And then I remember giving him my home address. He, he wrote to me because he wanted to see me again whenever he was back for business in Asia. So I did see him a couple of times. And then towards the end of the book, I write about when I, when I uh, graduate and leave Tokyo to go to Ann Arbor, I, I spend a few days in Manhattan and I meet up with him again. And, um, you know, I, I go to his penthouse in Greenwich Village and um, get to see him in his own habitat, not in a hotel in Tokyo. And it, he even was the one who took me. And I write about uh, going to see Torch Song Trilogy uh, back in the early 80s. And I write about the experience of just being hit in the face with all these things. It was like a, a crash course in being gay in New York City or, uh, circa 1982. And I, it was just that whole episode of, uh, seeing him again, uh, him taking me to a Broadway show that I had no idea about, but I, I sensed that he had an agenda to uh, having me watch that show. And um, it just culminates in um, my, a new perspective of I'm no longer in Japan. I, I no longer have uh, find the thrill in uh, trying to solicit sex, uh, money for sex. And that I was embarking into my new college career, uh, a new country, and I did not want to be held back even by someone who was very friendly to me uh, and kind of paved the way for my entry into America. So I, I know your question was about did I befriend uh, any of the other call boys, if you will. Uh, not so much, but clients um, really had an effect on me in the very end, a deep effect. Boy, he would have been daddy age. <laughs> right, and I did not, the concept of daddy did not even. <laughs> no, no. Well, did you, did you guys have turfs, territories in the, in, in the malls? Like, did you like? Oh, it's funny you ask. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do mention that. Um, there were certain lanes. I think my, my lane were the uh, Sony, well, the, it, it was the precursor to the Sony Walkman. It was like the Sony Pressman. So I had, I think I was along the electronics and the traditional Japanese hero, and they would be probably by the uh, the kimonos and uh, um, sumo no masks and whatnot, traditional crafts. <laughs> That's funny you asked that. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys get in fights if someone walked in your territory? <laughs> no, not so much. Let's, let's just say there was, there was plenty of demand. There was plenty to go around. <laughs> Yeah, I just wondered if it was sort of like, you know, kind of like the street action in, in America, you know. Or, well, that's cool. That's really <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, in, in Tokyo, you know, it, it was more demure. It was more, um, yeah, you, you didn't want to make a scene. Everything was quite stealth yeah. and subtle. Yeah. Better manners. You got it. As, as you were sort of going through that experience, I guess kind of finding your way in your teenage years, you, you kind of characterize as kind of searching and figuring yourself out. At the same time, I'm sure you're like looking around at culture, dominant culture and its messaging. How did you navigate like what you're doing with what maybe culture, the dominant culture is saying about being gay or, uh, or, you know, hooking up, making money this way, you know, 
How, do you remember? Do you take take us through that a little bit, like in your teenage brain? Because that, that must have been complex. <laughs> so uh, I I did think through about that, and the way I write the stories and and the book, I, I try to write everything from the vantage point of my age at the time. So um, I wanted to do that because I wanted to really uh, recount the moment as vividly as I could and not overanalyze it, right? Not have that perspective of an adult looking back necessarily, because I, I thought that being really being in the moment and um, reliving it, um, I think that teenager perspective uh, comes through and um, it, it's not uh, inundated or uh, adulterated, whatever the right word is, by, by having the perspective of someone who's a lot more mature. And I, I think um, by doing that, um, it, it has a pureness to it. I am, I'm glad I did it that way because it, it, it's really my coming back to who I was really reliving that age and, and that moment. And um, I, I think it turned out quite well. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great sort of bit of advice, I think. I'm, I'm a teacher as well. I teach writing, and, um, and so I'm always like, hence all the craft questions I keep asking. <laughs> now that it's done, um, what's next for you? All right. Um, so uh, I am dabbling in a number of um, potential short story directions. I, I, I love short stories, and I, I'd like to write more of those. Uh, I, I've been writing op-ed pieces for the Philadelphia Inquirer. I am, um, you know, when, when I find time, because work is quite busy. But I, I, I do want to, I want to get into this next book. And as, as I mentioned earlier, I'm debating. Um, I think I have this intriguing story, a couple of stories <laughs> um, that could, it's kind of like the same, the same situation has happened to me 25 years apart. I'll leave it at that. And, you know, and the juxtaposition of that um, and whether it should be a memoir or it should be a novel. So stay tuned for that. Um, I hope to make some progress this summer. Oh, great. You know, so it, uh, let me, let me ask any names in the book. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah. Um, so I did um, I ask permission from as many folks. So, so one of the, uh, characters that meant a lot to me was my guidance counselor, Mr. Howitt. And, you know, I did ask, I did tell him and I did tell some classmates that I, I wanted to mention them by real name. And they were, they were cool with that. Um, you know, like I mentioned the gentleman from New York, you know, who I met in Tokyo, that I met him, uh, in the village and he took me to the Broadway show. Uh, I did not know, I have to be honest, I don't know if he's still alive. Um, and the last time I spoke to him was around the time I went to college, maybe once after that. Um, but you make me think, and I have thought about this lately, do I, do, do I try and find him and reach out to him and let him know that, I, that I, I wrote about this, about meeting and getting to know each other? Um, but coming back to your question, I, I have masked him. And I do say up front, you know, the innocent has been renamed. <laughs> Well, we have him on the line right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> along with Mr. Howitz, we're we're going to have a, a talk about you now. We're going to turn the table. Oh 
my goodness. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? No, I'm saying that's, 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 that's your life. <laughs> yeah, that's your life. Yeah, well, this, check check out your screen now. We have a picture up from. <laughs> well, anyway, so listen, um, this is great. Now, do you are you? Um, Mr. Marketer, are you social media? Have you got like Facebook and all those places? And do you have a website? So give all that out so the listeners can find you. Absolutely. Thank you. So my um, author's site website is Jobert Abueva, my name, J O B E R T, A S and Apple, B as Boy, U, E as an Edward, V as in Victor A dot net. My Facebook page is Jobert E, my middle initial, Abueva. And Twitter is at J Abueva, and Instagram is Jobert underscore Abueva. You can never get everything uh, consistent, uh, but uh, everything's on the website and on the Facebook page, and I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, of course, we'll put that up on our website. People can find you. Glad you came on and everything, and uh, and and you know, it's an important story. I think it's a good thing. It's good to talk about things like this. I think it's it's great. Again, of course, we're talking about the book called Boy Wonder, and it's a coming of age memoir. And our guest has been the the author, Mr. Uh, Jobert Abueva. And thank you very much for being here. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Jobert. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.